0: This is a bonus episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Julia Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. This project is made possible by the Town Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I'm a graduate of that program, not a student, and if you don't know me, I have a long history covering and researching the far right specifically a hate group known as the proud boys now this is a special episode i did part one i um, published it a couple days ago i wanted to do this the next day but then i got hit with that uh interview on tucker carlson tonight with the artist formerly known as kanye west who now goes by ye west which i thought was kind of interesting because absolutely nobody on twitter was calling him yee and i will discuss that interview on monday a little bit it's not gonna be the main focus um i just i have very strong feelings about it i just thought it was exploitative and awful because i think um this is a man who has a known diagnosis for bipolar disorder who did uh, did not appear well and that's all i'm going to say about it so brief overview of this theme is basically um Tucker Carlson had a woman on his show, just a three minute segment. It was pretty, it was segments from Tucker Carlson Today, which is his interview um, series that he does for Fox Nation. And I was, something just felt off about her interview. And it was a very brief interview. She didn't really say much. And then he made this crazy conclusion that it was proof that the internet causes mass shootings. And I said, what on earth are you talking about? Because it's not at all what I saw in that interview. And that was the first like, ding. And then as I always talk about with bogus experts, I said, how is this woman an expert? Is she a doctor? Is she a therapist? Is she a statistician? What what does she have? So um, if you listen to part one, I strongly recommend listening to part one before listening to this because everything will make more sense. Um, I explore a podcast that she made. He's actually talking about an essay she wrote. But I really wanted to go for the podcast, which might sound strange. But I, it was the first thing that I found about her. And I found it everywhere. And she promotes it very heavily. And she promotes it on her Twitter. And so I thought, you know what? I don't care about an essay because the essay is basically – A written version of it a little bit I was far more intrigued by the podcast because I thought what are people more likely to grab I mean what's the first thing I saw this podcast and I found it in other places on the internet and people talking about it on the internet so I said let's go for this and um, what I discovered was was not great Um, I listened to the whole thing and in the last 10 minutes of it white nationalism got brought up and it was brought up as just you know no big deal just another way to think and I yeah I have a real problem with that um I don't think white nationalism is just another way to think. I don't think it's just another dissident um, thought. Um, I think it should be taken very, very seriously. So I had, and again, why again, Tucker Carlson is someone on your show leading me back to white nationalism. This seems to be a theme with Mr. Carlson, uh, Slacks McGee, um, Tuck Tuck, all the nicknames we have for him on Decoding Fox News. But I was was disturbed so we're just going to get into it i'm going to play the uh, media clips as i pull them here's the headline tucker tucker carlson promotes a mass shooter apologist part two the interview on tucker carlson today last week tucker carlson featured a guest who intrigued me i decided to do a deep dive to find out more about her and what i found disturbed me This is the second installment of an investigation into Catherine Dee, a woman Tucker Carlson tried to pass off as just a brilliant young voice he discovered on the internet. Within a few hours of research, I had connected Dee and her work to some fairly sinister ideologies. I cannot see into the mind of someone like Tucker Carlson or anyone on his staff. I do do find it troubling, though, that he would give someone like Dee a platform on the most popular cable news program. One of the segments I feature on my newsletter about Fox News is the network's habit of using what I call bogus experts. A bogus expert is someone with a lot of strong opinions about any given topic, but no training or expertise in the subject. In this case, Dee presented herself as an expert on the subject of mass shooters and internet subcultures. She's entitled to her opinion, of course, but she isn't a licensed therapist, psychologist, or data scientist. After researching whatever I could find about her, I stumbled on this quote from a podcast she'd created about a mass shooter. And I think when, when these, these sort of subcultures are acknowledged,
1: it's, they get the, the, you know, the neo-Nazi label or whatever kind of immediately, but that's not, that's not really the move, right? So that they, we never get a full picture of what exactly is going on there and, and what are the mechanisms and what are, what's the average person like? It's always sort of You know who's who's the the edge case that does something that does something very very horrific and what can we learn from them instead of what can we learn
0: from what's happening in general yeah this quote is from the end of the podcast uh where this idea that white nationalists neo-nazis and misogynists were just people expressing their dissident thoughts why would tucker carlson have a woman with this viewpoint on his show why did he present her as an expert on mass shooters when she has no training on the subject. She also hadn't seemed to put any real effort into researching mass shooters. Dee never cited a single study or book. She would talk about interviewing subjects, but there were never any details. How many people had she talked to? Did she interview actual mass shooters? What kind of research has she done? In part one of the series, she admitted openly that she'd done no research on the person she interviewed for her podcast, The Ghost of Adam Lanza Part One, before she had him on air. She just went in blindly. I discovered after rudimentary search that this man had extremely problematic political views on race and homosexuality. And I just want to say really quickly, part one does contain quite a bit of disturbing content. This one, not so much. Part two is a little bit tamer. Um, So again, if you want to listen to part one, trigger warning. I say this uh, very aggressively. Because it it's hard to listen to some of that stuff, and I really don't want to traumatize somebody. So, um, if you have issues with something like that, don't listen. Just don't. It's it's hard to listen to people talk very calmly about neo Nazis as well, which they do. Um, I'm used to it, but not everybody is. So, just trigger trigger warning disclaimer there before I keep going. And um, again, this episode's not as bad. So here we go. So the expert in question is Catherine D. Catherine D. In an interview with Coindesk, she gave her legal name simply as Katia. The name Catherine D. is an alias she uses online along with the handle default friend. Her education is GED and film school. We'll explore that later. Occupation. Currently a writer. She was vague about her background, stating only that she had a TV job in media when she lived in New York City and had worked for a tech startup. Her Twitter like handle, as it were, is I'm a journalist and I cover Internet history and culture. Okay, so after listening to her entire podcast, The Ghost of Adam Lanza, part one, I decided to go back and find the original hour long interview from Tucker Carlson Today, an interview show Carlson produces for the streaming service Fox Nation. He had pulled clips from this larger interview for the brief segment he featured last week. This is how Tucker Carlson introduced her. So we
2: developed a little niche on this show for smart people who write interesting things. Not necessarily people who are famous, but people who we think probably should be famous.
0: So there's a little bit back and forth and then he continued down this path and whoo,
2: here we go. Just completely heartfelt. I mean, there's just all this, I guess the upside of a moment like this, there's so much garbage and propaganda and stupidity, but it's also forcing people to think a little bit more deeply and the smart open-minded ones are. And I just, I'd love the chance to hold them up public attention um and you're definitely in that category
0: so-, so this is not in the written version of this uh but i'm going to just add that's tucker carlson uh, calling out other media for garbage propaganda and stupidity i'm just going to leave that there okay so it was clear just a few minutes into this interview that carlson was overjoyed to have dion as a guest carlson is normally effusive towards his interview subjects but this seemed like a special treat for him As Carlson asked basic questions about Dee's background, she didn't give him much. She said she had a television job for a media company in New York City and then a tech company. But she gave no details about what kind of work she did. She wouldn't even hint at her age. Dee also wouldn't even answer rudimentary questions about her educational background.
2: What year did she graduate high school?
0: Uh, I actually didn't graduate high school. I dropped out.
2: Oh, bless you. Yeah. I, I'm so glad you G- did that.
1: GED holder.
2: <laughs> Good for you. The Thank smartest you. people are, I've noticed. Um, but I guess what is another way of, and sorry for the personal question, yeah. but it's just another way of asking, like you grew up in oh. a world that was fully saturated Yeah, social I,
0: media. I, I, So this entire exchange just seemed like some anti-intellectualism from a man who went to an expensive prep school and university. So Carlson has bashed advanced education repeatedly on his show since they start covering him. I suspect he wants his followers uneducated because they are easier to manipulate. Anti-intellectualism is frequently promoted in far-right circles. She also said that she went to film school but gave no other details. Now, that could have been a few night classes or a full-blown program. Since she was cagey about nearly every aspect of her life, I suspected there had to have been some reason she wasn't being transparent. Most people don't avoid basic questions like, where did you go to high school? And I just, as a general note, some people don't go to high school for any number of reasons. It's usually some trauma has happened, is why people get a GAD. It's like somebody died, they had to move, something horrible happened in their family, they got pregnant. They had a disease something horrible happened usually not always her answer was i saw that as a red flag when i put it together with everything else i had mentioned that on twitter and some people didn't quite understand what i meant i'm like well you don't understand the context if you knew the context you wouldn't be freaking out so just very odd like she wouldn't give any personal information about herself and that just seemed very strange to me so adam lanza the fascination with a mass shooter Dee revealed that she developed a fascination with Adam Lanza, the man who shot and killed his mother, then six educators and 20 children at the Sandy Hook Elementary School before killing himself. At some point, she found videos Lanza posted of himself for YouTube that were a type of diary. She took these media clips along with samples of Lanza's writings and eventually produced a podcast series that basically launched her career, from what I could tell, I'm not sure. In a very telling moment in her interview with Carlson, D couldn't recall the number of Lanza's victims. People tell on themselves all the time, and this eye jumped out of my skin.
2: There's Adam Lanza right there. Who is, was Adam Lanza?
0: He, um,
1: he was a perpetrator of the the, the Sandy Hook school uh, shooting in uh, Connecticut. Um, I believe 27 uh, children were shot. He He went
0: into a first grade classroom. Okay, this is a woman, as far as I could tell, had spent a lot of time with Lonza's musings. It was a tell of sorts that although she knew a lot about the killer, she didn't know basic information about his victims. Lonza murdered his mother before going on a killing spree at the elementary school. Once at Sandy Hook, he slaughtered 20 children, aged six and seven, along with six employees of the school three teachers, a school psychologist, a behavior specialist, and the principal. Police arrived four minutes after Lanza first entered the school. Approximately a minute after police arrived on the scene, Lonza committed suicide. All told, 28 people died during his rampage. I point out the time frame here to really drive the point home that Lanza was able to murder that many people in such a short time. Obviously, the type of gun he used played a huge role in how much damage he caused. He
1: had a very uh, coherent personal philosophy. Um, He, you know, wasn't just a a random act of terror. It wasn't hate-fueled. He wasn't, uh, like, radicalized by any extremist group. Um, He was fundamentally against life. Um, he was against, his, his main gripe was against values, enculturation. Um, I ended up doing a podcast series with my friend uh, Gio um about this and exploring the different online spaces he occupied and just like
0: the deeply like nihilistic worldview that he held. So I cut it off accidentally, but Carlson said, that's fascinating at the end of her quote there. Yeah. So that quote made my blood go cold a bit. To someone like Dee, Lanza might be a fascinating subject. She's so detached from him emotionally and physically that he just becomes this interesting voice from the grave, a misunderstood genius. That's at least how he comes across in her podcast, The Ghost of Adam Lanza, Part 1. The problem arises, of course, when another disturbed young man might pick up on her podcast and revere Lanza as some type of hero. So Carlson's response to her comment is even more puzzling.
2: That's fascinating. There is a taboo, there's a powerful taboo against exploring the motives of monsters. Right. You saw this after 9-11, where there was an absolute boycott on any discussion about why the 19 murderers, hijackers, did this. And I always felt that we lost something in not having that conversation. It's hardly ratifying their crime, endorsing their crime, to ask why they committed it right. and why they died while committing it. But clearly they, they meant it. So like, why'd they do this? And no one ever talked about it. So
0: Okay, I could write several pages in response to Carlson's remark, but I don't want to completely sidetrack this article. Every single aspect of the 9-11 attack was explored exhaustively. The American public knew the names of the attackers, they, where they were from, how long they lived in the United States, what flight school they went to, the ideology they are obsessed with, and the leader who funded their terrorist attack. <sighs> I have no idea what Carlson meant by that statement, except that he was disappointed that there wasn't enough venom towards the Islamic faith. I don't know. Carlson has a, a habit of reading, rewriting history. So then Dee goes into the philosophy that she and her co-host for the podcast spent entirely too much time and focus on. And, you
1: know, it's if we remove the speech, it's not gonna remove the unhappiness. It's gonna come out in other ways. Um, and that's what I think, like, the big mistake is. Um, for Lanza in particular, um, his, his, so he starts sort of off, off as, like, an anarcho-primitivist, right? So um, basically he was, you know, against civilization, against society, um, and then he drifts towards, like, being against life. Um, And then he makes sort of another kind of confusing, difficult-to-articulate pivot um, against values. So to him, like, being against life is a value, right? So he's against even that. Um, And the only solution, um, you know, is solution by extermination, right? The The only thing you should and can do by this, like, oppressive force of, you know, in the face of this oppressive force of culture, of life, is to die. Um, and it's a, it's a very dark, um, and it's not, you know, it's not necessary,
0: it's, it, it's hard, it's, you can't justify it at all, right? As I discussed in the first installment of the series, exploring Lanza's worldview is largely meaningless. It could have just as easily been based on Batman The Dark Knight Rises, or any number of subjects. A mass shooter can fixate on just about anything. Exploring Lonza's history of any known mental health problems, any treatment he received or medication, any abuse or trauma he may have experienced or his family dynamics would be far more helpful in finding the source that led him to do something this horrific. Focusing on his self indulgent musings into an audio recorder could just fuel another mass shooter. For the rest of the interview, Dee made a number of assumptions about Lonza's mental state, various possible diagnoses, and even a few broad sweeping statements about how mental illness correlates with mass shootings. This was wildly irresponsible as Dee has no training as a therapist, psychologist, criminologist, and has never cited any specific studies or data sets. Like any other wannabe expert, she cited studies and books without ever giving a single title or pulling any specific data. She also lacked the years of experience of working with patients or case studies. The best hard data she could offer was, and I didn't pull this audio, I'm just gonna say it because it's so short. 98% of shooters are male. I think 52% of them are white. She could have brought notes to the interview, but she didn't. Okay, when I looked into this myself, I found some debate on both numbers she cited. Violent crime has always been overwhelmingly committed by young men. And that's in every culture across the planet so the fact that mass shooters are committed by males is hardly surprising she seemed instead to be fascinated with the various philosophies lanza held as if understanding them would crack the code of his motive Dee also took a very sympathetic view towards londa and other troubled men like him it's not wrong to research mass shooters more needs to be done if we're ever going to prevent another event like the massacre at Sandy Hook. Dee's approach of studying the YouTube ramblings of a lone mass shooter is haphazard at best. She's also using a sample of one. Dissecting the one event does not really accomplish much of anything when events like the one Lonza committed happen with alarming frequency. I mean, you know, a lot of research has been done too that, um, you know, mental illness
1: really doesn't explain these kinds of violent crimes. Um, I feel like people are really catching up. Um, there's been a lot of studies and even books published, and you know, in the last couple of months, uh, people are really catching up to this idea that uh, people who commit these mass casualty events are deeply, deeply nihilistic. They're deeply anti-life. Um, but I, but the problem is the explanation is uh, usually very uncharitable, um, and it really it seems to like neglect that people are products of their environment.
0: So where do we even start with this one? Her overall conclusion is nihilism leads to mass shootings. That's not exactly groundbreaking. So let me, let me break down her language. I mean, you know, a lot of research has been done too that... Okay, what research? Name a study, give a specific. Um,
1: you know, mental illness really doesn't explain these kinds of violent crimes.
0: The problem with what she just said there is she's speaking incredibly broadly when she's really only examined Adam Lanza. She uses the term violent crimes, plural, so now she's studied hundreds of mass shootings. If she has explored multiple other mass shootings, this would be a good time to share what she's found. The correlation with mental illness and mass shootings is murky, but she hasn't given the viewer much of evidence by what she just said. Um, I feel like people are really catching up. Um, there's been a lot of studies and even books published. and Again, what books? What studies? This is... Also vague. You'd think if she's read these studies, she might mention at least one. People who commit these mass casualty events are deeply, deeply
1: nihilistic. They're deeply anti-life. Um, but I. But the problem is the explanation is uh, usually very uncharitable. Um, and it really, it seems to
0: like neglect that people are products of their environment. Is she talking about abuse? She never mentions child abuse or domestic violence in this interview i searched the entire transcript for the word abuse and could find no examples also uncharitable her sympathy throughout this interview and the podcast is always with lanza so throughout the rest of this interview she made a number of broad sweeping statements and assumptions about psychology religion human action Interaction, body modification, cultural changes, porn, sex work, feminism, and the internet without anything to reinforce her opinions. I didn't want to make this four hours long. So we all have opinions, but an expert should be able to offer some proof or evidence to strengthen whatever arguments they're making. Blithely using the term studies, books, and research is similar to the phrase sources say, people are saying, it's purposefully obtuse. Now in this brief statement, she destroys her own argument. The point of having her on Tucker Carlson today was to explore how the internet relates to mass shooters. A a
1: meaningless problem. People don't know why they're living, why they're doing anything. Um, We live in a society of people who want to anesthetize themselves. Um, I mean, I, this is an argument that I think is upsetting to a lot of people. But I think if you think of it like a spectrum, um, people who you know aren't evil or aren't disturbed um, might you know show this through binging Netflix or you know being workaholics and then drinking a bottle of wine and then falling asleep. Okay,
0: so she just mentioned Netflix, which is more like watching a movie or television series. Working a lot has nothing to do with the internet. And finally, humans abusing alcohol, drinking a bottle of wine has absolutely nothing to do with the internet usage. I could find a novel from 100 years ago that would explore the exact same themes she just espoused. Human beings feeling lost and detached from the world is not new. The internet might have exacerbated it, but she's offering no proof that it has. D never acknowledges why mass shootings are a problem unique to the United States. People are filled with despair and a feeling of meaningless all over the world. The United States is nowhere near the top of the list in terms of suicide. The country with the highest rate of suicide, according to World Population Review, is Lesotho, a tiny country surrounded by South Africa. The country has an alarming rate of HIV and AIDS, which probably contributes to the high rate of suicide. South Korea and Russia are also in the top 10 countries in terms of suicide rates. It would be difficult to argue that the three countries of Leso, South Korea, and Russia all have high rates of suicide due to excessive internet use. I would compare countries based on the amount of mass shootings, but the United States is so above any other country, it's in a league by itself. What the U.S. does have a lot more of than any other nation is easy access to powerful firearms. Dee could make the argument that as many have, that her obsession with guns is not tied to mass shootings. Instead, she focuses on broad ideals like nihilism, something that is not unique to the 21st century or the United States. Then in an unexpected twist, Dee made a correlation that the microblogging site Tumblr had somehow sparked an increase in people wanting to seek a gender transition. I had to include this because it's so crazy.
2: And of course, most famously, there's the the trans,
0: uh, yeah,
1: he's I
2: mean, driven really by the Internet,
1: right? I mean, yeah, that I would argue that that was popularized by Tumblr um, But you know not, that's another rabbit hole that I won't won't get into
2: But you have just thrown it out there. So just I'm gonna have to ask for a few more sentences. Sure so you think that the trans mania Was popularized by Tumblr. What's Tumblr and how did it um, start this?
1: Tumblr was a microblogging site um, and I guess like the the simplest way to explain it, so it was it was one of the most popular websites. Was um, not not so much once they banned porn, there is a sort of a mass exodus. It was one of the most popular <laughs> websites among. Uh,
2: You're making me sorry I'm not online more often, Catherine D. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs>
2: <Once they laughs>
3: but banned I, you know porn. I I
1: interviewed a, a lot of people and their first exposure um, to even learning about trans identity was through Tumblr. Um, so, you know, if, if, if nothing else, it, it introduced the idea that this was a possibility to people.
0: Okay, what you don't hear her say in that clip is the word research. She interviewed some people. Dee strikes me as someone who has a conclusion first and then finds other people who agree with her. If she'd spent even an afternoon looking into the history of trans people, she would have discovered there's evidence of trans people that goes as far back as recorded human history. Trans people also have existed in every culture, even parts of the world that are extremely divergent from each other. I found that from National Geographic, not exactly a political website. Okay, so to make the leap that Tumblr has led to a trans craze is absolutely absurd. So to review this a bit, most of Dee's ideas about a detached mechanized world without meaning are not new. Over a hundred years ago, after the first world war, Many philosophers, artists, and writers promoted the same ideas and themes. Mass shootings occurred before the internet existed, and angry and alienated youth is not exactly a new problem. The University of Texas Tower Massacre in 1966 is considered by many to be the start of this horrific trend. In a haunting parallel with Lanza, the shooter killed his mother and wife the night before. At one point, Carlson put Dee on the spot and asked her point-blank if any mass shooters were married men with children. She responded no. How would either Carlson or Dee instantly know the marital status of hundreds of mass shooters? They wouldn't. In a cursory search on the same subject, I found multiple sources and large studies that actually pointed to a strong connection between domestic violence, misogyny, and mass shootings. It was so strong that one study by the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence at John Hopkins found that in 682 percent of mass shootings analyzed, the perpetrator either killed family members or an intimate partner, or the shooter had a history of domestic violence. Another study by Everytown Research conducted in conjunction with the FBI that looked into mass shootings from 2009 to 2020 also showed a strong correlation between domestic violence and mass shooters. How actual experts study mass shooters. Now, this was fun. I had no idea and I want to read this book. Okay. Two college professors, Jillian Peterson, an associate professor of criminology at Hamland University, and James Densley, a professor of criminal justice at Metro State University, funded by the National Institute of Justice, a research division of the Department of Justice, conducted a database of every mass shooting event, four or more victims from 1966 in a public space, and every shooting incident at schools, workplaces, and places of worship, since 1999. From this, they compiled detailed biographies of 180 shooters. They conducted interviews with family members, spouses, friends from childhood, co-workers, teachers, and neighbors. They also spoke to people who had planned mass shootings but never carried them out. Although most mass shooters do not survive their rampages, they were able to speak to five who were serving life sentences. The duo, published a book titled The Violence Project, How to Stop Mass Shootings Epidemic. They found patterns and commonalities among the group they analyzed and suggested a data-backed and mental health approach could help doctors, teachers, parents, law enforcement identify the next mass shooter before he acts out. I'm going to use the pronoun he because it's overwhelmingly a male problem. Catherine D. may be earnest in her search for the source of mass shootings, The problem is she seems to come up with a conclusion first and then finds what she thinks is evidence to back her theory. She would also rather explore nihilism than look to any physical abuse or trauma that may have caused someone like Lanza to retreat from the world. Dee assumes the symptom, nihilism, is the cause. It's huge when you study, when you do anything with causality. It's so difficult to prove this happened and that caused this. And she's just looking at, well, he was nihilistic. Plenty of people are nihilistic. Most people don't ever do anything like this. So at no point during her extended interview with Carlson did she really show any concrete evidence that excessive internet use leads to mass shootings. She didn't even explore the amount of time Lonza himself spent on the internet. My biggest issue with her as a source for Carlson, however, is her tacit support of white nationalism. No one is truly apolitical. When the guest on her podcast frequently brought up white nationalism and white supremacy as just another worldview, she expressed no objection. And I'm going to pull this quote again. It's from yesterday, but from the from the ghost of Adam Lanza, part one.
3: Let's say you just say, I don't want whites to disappear as a race. Well, now that's the epitome of evil. And it's not just because it's, uh, you know, biased or whatever. It's because that view is in opposition to humanist values, whereas ethylism and and antinatalism are kind of aligned with those values. So they're not really perceived. They're kind of perceived as as an extreme version of the left. Well, I guess that's generally true of all extreme left-wing movements is that they're not really perceived as very threatening, whereas extreme right-wing movements are perceived as threatening because they're sort of... uh, They're attacking something at the root, you know, like they're not just, uh, uh, they're directly rejecting the core values on which the kind of institutional worldview of the modern West is based.
0: Okay, so white nationalism is not just another worldview. White supremacy has a long and bloody history of violence, death, and destruction. The white supremacist movement is well organized and in some cases, well armed. Dee's seeming neutrality, such a hateful ideology, is in a form an endorsement. I cannot prove why Carlson would want to elevate someone like Dee, but it's incredibly troubling that he introduced her to his audience of nearly four million people." Now I'm not going to go, I went on and on and on about his possible motivations in part one. I'm not going to do it again because I'm kind of exhausted and I'd just be repeating myself. But. I did this kind of as an exploration of like how you can point to a bogus expert, how you can find one of these people, who's just full of opinion and nothing else. She never cites a study. She never cites a source. She gives a lot of opinion. She makes a lot of conclusions, but she has nothing to back it up. And the best example to make her look foolish was that book that I cited with the two professors who went seriously deep dove. They studied 180 mass shooters. They went into all the specifics about these people's lives, and they've that's how you formulate opinions. That's how you, not opinions, but that's how you find data. That's how you find concrete things that can pull someone back to the source of why this is happening. You don't just make vague platitudes and talk about philosophy. No, 180. That's crazy. That's, that's epic. And I applaud them for it. That's how we do this. So anyway, coming up, I should have my normal weekly podcast should be dropping on Monday. I also did a deep dive. This is, I'm very excited about. On uh, the Carlson's documentary, The End of Men, there is a strong white supremacist streak throughout that entire piece. I know, shocking. I'm being very sarcastic when I say that. I'm planning a podcast newsletter and a short video about what I found since so much of it is visual. So, um, wow. I, and nobody else has taken this angle yet that I know of. I've seen some reviews of the very, it's only 34 minutes long, of his like film and they all talk about the science, which is completely legit. But because I'm focused on him so much all the time, I immediately saw white supremacy all over the place and I can prove it. And we're going to go through it and I'll show you why I saw white supremacy all over the place through the language and through the images. And even if you don't watch the video version of it, I will describe what I, what I'm talking about. So I'll do the best I can to make this uh, user friendly for People who can only consume audio because I have a couple followers who only can't because they can't see. They um, only can consume audio and then people who like to read and all of it. So I'm very excited about it. It's I went through the entire thing image by image by image like a lunatic because that's the kind of person I am. Thank you for listening. If you want to help out the project, I have a Patreon at Decoding Fox News. Um, There's also a tip thing at the top of my Twitter Um, Thank you so much for listening. I am completely exhausted. I won't even say what time it is, Eastern Standard Time, because you'll lecture me about getting more sleep. So thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening. Um, You'll hear back from me on Monday.